Good day, everyone. Good to be with you again. Yes, it is May. It's amazing, isn't it? Amazing. I just thought of that myself. Good day to everybody online. Nice to have you with us in this sort of special way. I want to talk to you about the order of the ordinary today. You know, there's a lot of orders around in uh, Christian faith right across history. A lot of them in the Catholic Church, you know, monastic orders and mission orders and so forth. And I know of a, uh, a Baptist order up uh, north of Geelong, which um, they do a great job of uh, contemplation and working in the in the uh, area and so forth. And my mate Brendan Nottle, some of you have heard of Brendan. He's Salvation Army major in the city, and uh, he uh, he started up Order Six One Four, a mission order that he called Six One Four as a mission to the city and 614 comes out of Isaiah 61 verse 4 which talks about restoring the city and he has a group of interns each year uh, go in for some training and involvement in the uh, in mission to the city and it's a great mission uh, but I want to talk to you about an order that I think all of it might know all of us are actually a part of if we're following Jesus and I've called it the order of the ordinary I was once told a story by a long-haul jet pilot who was commenting on the Pacific run, Los Angeles to Sydney. And he described it as hours and hours of sheer ordinariness, punctuated by moments of exaltation and moments of sheer terror. I wasn't interested in talking to him about the moments of sheer terror. I thought I'd just leave that to him. But moments of exaltation, I can imagine, you know, the sun coming up or whatever it might be. And wow. You never get used to that, but hours and hours of ordinariness. Actually, I think he described it more as boredom, but I've transcribed it as ordinariness because it fits into the sermon better. So most of life is ordinary, everyday life. It's made up of sleeping, waking up, eating, doing our daily stuff, eating more, showering, going to bed, Sleeping, waking up, eating, and so forth. It's pretty ordinary. Some of those moments can give pure joy, and some can be just horrible, you know, really hard times. And we have relational moments that are exhilarating, and some are not so exhilarating, some are very trying. But most of life is pretty ordinary stuff. And when we hear about other people's lives telling story, we think, you know, their life's so exciting. Wow. But really, when it boils down to it, even people who tell exciting stuff about their lives, testimonies are full of those. It's really filled with very ordinary stuff. But that's okay. Because the ordinariness of our daily lives can actually be redeemed in the moment. God takes those ordinary moments and he uses them and does some extraordinary things. Paul addresses this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of it is brilliant. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. 
Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Now, you're familiar with that couple of verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2. But unless you've read the message, you haven't heard it said like that. And I like that as a paraphrase. I'm going to read it again. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, your ordinary life, everything that you do, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, Take that, the ordinariness of your day, and place that before God. And say, God, this is my offering to you. Everything that I do today and all of the ordinariness of the day, I give it to you. I place it before you as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. And this is what I call the order of the ordinary. And the recognition that in the ordinary, extraordinary things happen because God is at work. But you know what? We often miss it. We often miss how God is at work in our lives in the ordinariness of the day, in the things that we just do, you know? We often miss it. I love, thank you, Sammy, for sharing. I love the goal. Did you notice that every Muslim family have at least one Christian friend? <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a fantastic goal for a mission organization to have. And that's what we're talking about. Making friends. Making friends. And seeing what God does with that. I love that. Think of the Christmas story for a moment. If we're talking about mission, if we're talking about evangelism, the telling of the good news, you have to start with Christmas, don't you? (laughs) You have to start with God becoming a human being the greatest evangelist of all, the greatest act of evangelism of all, the greatest mission of all, God becoming a human being. In John 1.14, John talks about this as the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. Again, Eugene, Parison's, uh, Eugene, Eugene, Parison's, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of that verse. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighbourhood. That's the mission. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, full of grace and truth, is what John says. You know, nothing ordinary about that in some ways, but in other ways, very ordinary. God becomes flesh, moves into the neighbourhood with a job in carpentry, and he has family and he has friends. (laughs) And you know what? He goes to sleep at night. And he wakes up in the morning and he eats breakfast and he goes to work and he does the daily stuff and he goes home and he eats dinner and he goes, you know, so much of what Jesus did was pretty ordinary stuff because he lived life as a human being. Oh, yes, he's fully God. I haven't left the faith, but he's fully human. He's fully human and he's just enjoying life and he's doing his stuff. And most people missed it. Most people missed the fact that this is God. (laughs) This is God. Look at what, he's living next door to us. Most people missed that. The creator God became a part of his creation, enfleshed, so he could be God with skin on. And what we see in Jesus is God lived out perfectly in the flesh as a human being. Oh yeah, no ordinary stuff there, but in many ways 
it was. In fact, John the Baptist actually said, and it's recorded here in John chapter 1, John the Baptist actually said, I wouldn't have known him if it hadn't been for the vision that I got of the dove anointing him at his baptism. I wouldn't have known him. God had to point him out to me. God had to say to me, when you see the dove come down and the Holy Spirit anointing, he's the Messiah, he's the one. This is his own cousin. John the Baptist grew up with him and he said, I wouldn't have known him. Fascinating stuff. Why is that? Because it was getting lost in the ordinariness of being cousins, of hanging out together. Because Jesus, in so many ways, lived an ordinary life as a human being. And most people missed what was going on because it was so ordinary. This is God with skin on, wrapped up in all sorts of ordinariness. And the Bible is filled with all sorts of stories of ordinariness. And if we have our eyes wide open, we can see it. And the same is true today. The same is true today. That God is at work in all sorts of ordinary stuff throughout your day. And if you have your eyes wide open, you'll see it. That's mission. That's evangelism. Jesus towards the end of his life, passed on the order of the ordinary when he commissioned us to carry on this mission. John 20. Later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jews, they'd locked all the doors in the house. Jesus entered and he stood among them and he said, Peace be to you. May peace be with you. And then he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. And Jesus repeated his greeting, Peace to you, just as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. In exactly the same way. God with skin on. Moving out to live your ordinary lives as God with skin on. The enfleshment of God in the person of Jesus was going home. And so Jesus passes on the enfleshment job, <laughs> the incarnation, to his followers. John 1.14 revisited that people may experience God with skin on. And so the order of the, of the ordinary was born. I want to introduce a lady to you. Her name is Mary Smith. Mary regards herself as an ordinary person who loves following Jesus. But she sometimes has a hard time doing that very well. Or at least that's what she thinks. Mary is the mother of three school-aged children and she's divorced. She's a part of her local church and is known as a caring and generous person with the gift for listening and for hospitality. She says she's nothing special and wishes she could be more effective in her discipleship by becoming an overseas missionary or a youth leader or something like that. Mary has a full-time job in the local supermarket and she's liked by her boss and by her work colleagues and by many of the customers. She gets on well with everyone 
Uh, except for old Mrs. Thorpe, who has been working the cash register for a very long time and who often gets grumpy with anyone who comes to work happy. She was hard to take. Mary's been praying about her attitude to Mrs. Thorpe, but it doesn't seem to be working. No change is coming. Mary works in a, uh, lives in a rented unit in a quiet neighbourhood of Montmorency. When the divorce went through due to domestic violence, she lost everything because she couldn't afford a lawyer. And she and her kids live in this smallish three-bedroom unit. She never complains about it, but she once told her Bible study group that she sometimes wonders why God allowed her to go through all that trauma. She prays that God will one day make it possible for her to get a house with more space for her kids in a backyard where she can do some gardening. She loves gardening. God hasn't granted that desire yet, and although Mary has times of disappointment with God's apparent silence, she accepts her lot and still trusts in God's love. Mary's a friendly person, and she has a lot of friends. But she still finds herself getting lonely and wishing she had a loving partner and a more meaningful job. Sometimes she hears stories at church, either from visiting missionaries or from preaching by the pastor, that make her wish she could do something meaningful for God. She once heard a sermon where it was said that you need to leave your full-time work and get involved in God's work by going into full-time ministry that really glorified God. Well, she wanted to glorify God, but decided she would just have to be a second-rate disciple because she had too many responsibilities at home. Besides, a lot of those full-time mission organisations wouldn't accept her because she was divorced. She went home pretty discouraged that day. These stories from Africa sound so exciting, and she thinks that's where the real work of God is done or maybe in preaching sermons or playing in the worship band or feeding the homeless or something like that. But she must put up with what she considers an ordinary, mediocre life and in many ways it makes her look forward to heaven. But wait. Let's have a look at a day in the life of Mary Smith. Mary wakes at 6am so she can get a coffee and have a quiet time before the kids get up. She feels blessed by the portion of scripture she studied and finds herself humming a psalm as she goes in to wake the kids up. As they get ready for school, she puts breakfast on the table and makes them some sandwiches for lunch. One of the kids tells her she doesn't want to go to school that day and she breaks into tears. Mary takes her daughter into the lounge room and cuddles her asking her what the problem is. At first, she, she doesn't want to talk about it, but as Mary strokes her daughter's hair and speaks softly to her, Mary hears about a bullying incident and that her daughter is afraid of getting bullied again. And they talk about ways of handling bullying and Mary assures her daughter that she will talk to the teacher about it if necessary. And her daughter decides she can face school and leaves with a sense of courage after praying with her mum before she left. Mary walks through the park to get to work. She's early and so decides to grab a coffee from the mobile cafe. 
She smiles at the man in the caravan and they chat briefly about the beautiful weather. Mary mentions that weather like this makes her appreciate God even more. And the coffee dealer laughs. You don't believe in the old boy in the sky, do you? He says. To which Mary says, nah, I believe in a God who created all this and is right here now. Don't, don't you? He sputters something out as Mary heads for the park bench to enjoy her coffee. And some kids ride by on their bikes and they say hi to her and she recognises them as friends of one of her children and smiles, telling them to have a good day at school. One of them has been in a bit of trouble with the law recently and he was able to confide in Mary as to what was going on. Mary had been a huge help and a good friendship had developed with the child. Work was pretty ordinary that day. Customers that she smiled at and tried to chat to as they went through her aisle, calling them by name whenever she could. Work colleagues who were mostly bored through the day with whom she tried to be an encourager. And then there was Mrs Thorpe. Mary just tried to avoid her as much as she could. Lunchtime was interesting though. Mary was sitting in the break room eating her lunch when Sarah came in. She'd been crying and Mary asked what had happened. Sarah told her she'd had a run-in with Mrs Thorpe and with everything else going on in her life, it was just too much. Mary listened well, reassuring Sarah that she was not stupid for being upset as Sarah had thought. And they chatted for a while about how life can really get hard at times and that when it all piles up it just gets overwhelming. Mary felt like bagging Mrs Thorpe, but she kept her speech to encouraging Sarah, praying silently for self-control along the way. Mary told Sarah that she would ask God to give Sarah a sense of peace through all her anxieties. And Sarah went back to work, saying she felt a lot better just for talking it out and knowing that there was someone at work who understood. She thanked Mary for her promise to pray. And Mary quietly thanked God for his help. When Mary arrived home, she saw an ambulance outside her neighbour's home. And this was where an older couple by the names of Roy and Ruth lived. And she saw Roy standing in the front yard as the ambulance pulled away. She asked him what was happening. Roy told Mary that Ruth had had another fall and she was being taken to hospital for observation. He wanted to travel with her but was not able to because of COVID restrictions. Mary told him she was cooking lasagna for tea and that she'd make enough for him as well. And she also offered to visit him after tea to help him work through the technology of FaceTime so he could catch up with Ruth. Later that night, the kids were in bed. The dishes were done. Roy had successfully connected with Ruth on FaceTime and Mary was sitting watching TV before getting into bed. During one of the commercials, she reflected on her rather full but what she called ordinary day. And she caught herself telling God that one day she'd join a mission organisation so she could do some really important work for him. And she fell asleep. I choke up at this point. I've told this story a few times and I can't get through it yet. Because you know what I long for? I long for Mary Smith to know what a great missionary she is. 
She's a missionary in the order of the ordinary, the most spectacular mission order there is in the world. More world-changing than any other mission, organisation or order. I'd love for her to be encouraged in her, in, in her missionary activities and that she would understand how essential all the things she did during her day, all the ordinary stuff, as she calls it, was God stuff. It was God stuff. It was God with skin on, right from the start, all the way through to the finish. Her mission was being accomplished of being God in the flesh, incarnation, in the neighbourhood. And people are experiencing God's love. It don't get better. No, no better than that. It just doesn't get any better. That's the story of the order of the ordinary. And every one of us are in that order. Every one of us have the opportunity to be those people. That will help people experience God. Sammy talked about our, our Muslim neighbours. Such, such an important mission in Australia. Sammy talked about the nations that are all coming to Australia. And you know what? They're at work with you. They're at work with you. Or they live next door to you. They're in the cafes where you go and get coffee. All the nations of the world are coming to Australia it seems. And there they are. We have the opportunity in the order of the ordinary to be God with skin on, to fulfill the mission. What a great story. When Debbie and I moved into the CBD, and many of you journeyed that journey with us a few years back, and people said to us, you know, we moved into an apartment in the city, and uh, people said, oh, you're going in to plant a church, aren't you? And we used to say, no, don't really know. <laughs> don't know what we're going to do. But we do know that we're going to make some friends and see what God does with that. I didn't call it the ordinary of the ordinary in those days, but that's what it was. We're just going to make some friends and see what God does with that. Soon after we moved into the CBD, at night time we used to go up to Parliament Gardens up the top of the city and you could look out over all of the lights of the city. Beautiful, beautiful sight. And I'd pray for the city from up in Parliament Gardens. And one night I was sitting there praying for all the, the burning lights, you know, all the buildings and what was going on in the city that night. And I was praying and I got this impression that God said, see all those buildings? There's people living there, there's people working there, there's people playing there, there's people who are retired there. There's a lot of people in this city. And you're looking out over all of them. And I felt the, I got this impression that God was saying that they are strategic for what I have planned for the city of Melbourne. They're essential because they're living there. My people are living there, working there, playing there. But then I felt that God was saying, but the biggest tragedy is they don't realise it. They don't realise it. They don't realise how important their daily lives lived out for me are in all of those circumstances. My prayer is that 
you've been reminded today of how important your ordinary days are of all the stuff that you do from waking to sleeping are so important for what God has planned for Australia. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for the privilege of being ushered into this order of the ordinary where we have opportunity after opportunity to enflesh your love and to speak up for you. We thank you. My prayer is that every person gathered here this morning and every person watching this online, whenever watching it, my prayer is that each one of them will be reminded and encouraged and blessed with the thought that they are so essential in everything that they're going to do this afternoon, tomorrow, throughout the week. Please help them to see that. In Jesus' name. Amen.